Greetings from Staten Island, New York, at, uh, from Community Christian Center, where we pastor our English ministry there. Uh, my wife, Jasmine, is with me. Um, she's going to be sharing the word with you, and I'm just going to introduce her. Amen. Um, just a quick, quick testimony. We just came back from, from West Africa about two weeks ago, um, and it's just been amazing um, just to get to West Africa you know, the enemy would, like Josh was saying, planting seeds of doubt. And, and uh, I went to the doctor, and uh, I got three negative reports. Each report was worse than the last one. And um, I came, got to the point where I said to myself, you know, I really shouldn't go to this trip. I shouldn't be on a plane flying for 11 hours to go minister anywhere. And, uh, but I just felt the peace of the Lord strengthen me. And when, when I got to Togo, West Africa, and I set my foot on the land of my forefathers, I just felt something spiritually connect me uh, to not only that land, but to my destiny and to my purpose. And I heard the voice of the Lord say that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And you know, what, you know that you're doing God's business. You know that you're doing a work for the Lord when everything comes against you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When, when everything is coming against you, your health, your finance, everything began to come against you. But the Lord said that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by him. And so I was so blessed. Uh, I was a blessing, yes, to, in, to be in Togo, but also the people of Togo were a blessing to my life. And I will forever hold on to that memory. And the same thing I, I would say for this church. And thank you, Pastor Jay, for opening up this pulpit um, to us, and we just want to honor you, the man of God of this house. We thank you for this privilege. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. What an awesome, awesome work that, that God is doing in this congregation. And thank you, Pastor Jay, for, for shepherding uh, what, what the Lord has entrusted. I, we just sense the presence and, and a move of God like, like we haven't seen before. And so we're so honored to be in this, in this environment. I want to uh, invite my precious wife, Dr. Jasmine. She's going to come. Um, just a quick, another short testimony about my wife. Um, not only is she beautiful and gorgeous and all, that, all of that great stuff, but she is a true woman of God, a woman of faith. Uh, this past week, I was laid up in a hospital bed, and she dropped everything to be with me and prayed for me, prayed me through it, and I'm here. I, I wasn't supposed to be here. I didn't know if I was going to make it, but she prayed that God would touch me and God would heal me, and here I am today because of the prayers of my wife. So she, she operates under a heavy anointing, and you'll, you'll be in for a wonderful treat. So it's my honor, it's my privilege to share this precious gift of the Lord with you, Dr. Jasmine Georges, and we're here with our beautiful son, Ethan, our six-year-old, and uh, may the Lord bless you. Hi. God bless you. Oh, put those hands together for Jesus. Oh, you can do a lot better than that. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. When I, oh, it's, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. This is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's house, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When, when I was driving here from New York City, the Lord deposited something in my spirit, and when the psalmist, the man of God, was singing that song about coming out of the grave, it just confirmed what the Lord had deposited in my spirit. I was meditating on that passage of Scripture. 
where Jesus calls Lazarus back to life. And the Bible says that prior to him calling Lazarus out of the tomb, that Jesus said, thank you, Father, that you always hear me. And he said, not only do I thank you that you always hear me, the Bible said that Jesus thanked God for what he was about to do. My God. That Jesus, who had stripped himself of his divine ability, he was a regular man just like you and just like me. But he thanked God for the miracle that was about to transpire. And I don't know about you, but there have to be some people under the sound of my voice that are in need of a miracle, that are in need of God to do something in your situation, something in your circumstance, something in your finances, something in your family. Oh, come on here. Somebody, I can't be the only person who has a child that is sick in his body, a husband that's sick in his body. And if you're like me and you're in need of a miracle, why don't you do what Jesus did and thank God in advance. Give him advance praise. For what he's about to do. He's about to heal your children. He's about to restore your marriage. He's about to give you a financial breakthrough. He's about to open up a door that no man can shut. Can somebody right now, right where you are, give God advanced praise and thank him for what he's about. He's about to do something. What I found very interesting, Pastor, and I was meditating, and I didn't even know if I was going to share it, but when the psalmist began to sing that song about coming out of the grave, I know it was confirmation that he, he thanked God for what he was about to do, and he called that dead thing back to life. Oh, come on here. There's some people with some dead marriages. I don't care what your Facebook status is. I don't care the kind of image that we try to project in the natural. There's some people with some dead marriages. There's some people with some dead ministries. There's some people with some dead mindsets. And Jesus called the dead thing back to life. But Jesus gave the word for the dead thing to come back to life. But I find it very interesting that when Lazarus, and he told Lazarus to come forth, the Bible says that Lazarus was still bound. Jesus had given the word, but the man was still bound. He was not able to walk in the word that was spoken over his life. Well, what did Jesus then tell the men? He said, loose that man and let him go. Jesus gave the word. But he used a man to unbind what Lazarus was trapped in. I don't know, but I just know that I'm coming here, not only, of course, as Josh's spiritual mother, not only coming here as a servant of God, but I come here as a prophet, called to the office of the prophet of the Most High God to speak a word that is about to unbind some people, about to unbind some marriages, about to unbind some backslidden children. God is about to unbind some things, some things that were dead are coming forth in Jesus' name. So I encourage you right now where you are, Give him advanced praise for what he's about to do, about to do. He's about to do something. Open up your Bibles with me. I come with a word fresh from the throne room of God. Open with me to Judges chapter 3. We will be reading from verses 1 through 5. Then we're going to move from verses 12 through 15, Judges, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, chapter 3. When you have it, say amen. When you have it, say amen. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is 
all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formally known it. Make a note of that. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hands of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. Hmm. Verse 7, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asheroths. Move down to verse 12. Ehud, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened, watch this, the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Amnon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of the Lord... When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Father, we thank you for this word. I sit down, you stand up. I decrease, you increase, you speak. Allow your Holy Spirit, who is a teacher, and will guide us in all truth, does not speak of its own accord, but only as the Spirit of God would instruct it to say. Free reign to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I will need some water, please. When we talk about the book of Judges, and we see here that the Israelites find themselves in a situation, they find themselves in a circumstance, and the Lord raises up a judge by the name of Ehud. Now, it's imperative when we talk about judges like Deborah, like Gideon, like Othniel, for example, and in this instance of what I will be speaking about today, when we talk about Ehud, when we talk about judges, judges were not people that would, what we think of judges today. When I talk about judges today, we think about people that wear black robes, that sit behind benches, and they hear cases, and they hand out uh, depositions, and they hand out uh, 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 responses, and they, are, they respond to cases and all of that. That is not what a judge was in that time. When we talk about judges in the Word of God, what judges were, they were almost like the equivalent of what one would call a Christian superhero. There were Christian superheroes who the Lord would raise up, that the Lord would touch, that the Lord would touch, and he would use them to judge God's people and also to serve as a deliverer for them. Now, we find ourselves here once again, because it seems like every so often the Israelites would find themselves once again in a situation, once again in a circumstance, and they find themselves once again falling short of the glory of God, and they find themselves in the hands of the wicked, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up a deliverer for them by the name of Ehud. And when they served as a judge, not only would they rule, they would also be kind of the equivalent of the head of the army. They were the ones that were in charge of the battle. Stay with me, I'm laying a foundation. So the judge would, would, would be the head, the equivalent 
equivalent of a, of a battle general, of a brigadier general, and they would lead the people of God into battle against the enemy. Now, it's very interesting that they raise up, the Lord chooses to raise up in this instance when the Israelites are under an immense amount of oppression. He raises up a deliverer, a judge by the name of Ehud, who the Bible says was a left-handed man. Now, we have to go a little bit deeper because he was a left-handed man, and the reality of it is, is that his right hand was paralyzed. His right hand was deformed. His right hand was shriveled up. His right hand didn't operate. Now, isn't that sad that you're raised up and you're called to be a battle person? You're called up to be the general. You're called up to be the person that leads the people of God into battle against the enemy, but you've only got one hand to fight. And not only do you only have one hand to fight, the hand that's considered the hand of dominance, the hand of prominence, the hand of power is the right hand. But you don't have the right hand, you only have the left hand. And almost, it's almost ironic, it's almost like some sort of a cosmic joke, that not only do you only have one hand, you don't have the hand that you're supposed to have. You know, the Bible says that a father would bless his son with a right hand, that the right hand symbolized blessing. So not only do you only have one hand, the wrong hand. You could have been born into any of the 12 tribes, but you're born into the tribe of Benjamin because it says that his name was Ehud and he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And what does the word Benjamin mean? It means son of my right hand. So isn't that ironic? Isn't that odd? Isn't that interesting? And some of you may say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, what do you do when you know that God has called you? What do you do when you know that God has separated you? What do you do when you know that this is your assignment, that this is your destiny, that this is your moment, that God is separating and separating and separating and setting you apart and calling you into another level and into another destiny when God has placed an assignment on your life, on your ministry, on your career, and you don't have what it takes and everybody knows it. Because you're of the tribe of Benjamin. So what do you do? You do what the title of my message is. You learn to work with the hand that the Lord has given you. Oh, come on here. Oh, I can't be the only person that didn't. You may not have got the right education. Some of us don't have the right socioeconomic status. Some of us don't have the right skin color. Some of us are not the right body type. Some of us don't know the right people. Some of us know the right people and they don't like us. When you find yourself ill-equipped in what appears to be the natural, what do you do when God has called you? You learn to work with the hand that the Lord has given you. I don't know about anybody else, but I think it's important for sometimes for us to really stop and process, how did we get here? Think about it. Every 20, 30, 40 years, the Israelites have to get another judge. Why? Because they keep falling into the same sin, falling into the same situation. Oh, I can't be the only person. There have to be some people that every so often you find yourself in that situation. You say, how did I get here again? How did I get into this situation in my marriage again? How did I get into this situation with my credit again? How did I get into this situation with my children again? How did I get into this situation with my health again? I keep doing like the Israelites and I'm going around the mountain again and again and again and again and it's taking me 40 years instead of a few days and I know that there's some people that are frustrated that you find yourself in the same situation again how did I get here again how did the Israelites find themselves in need of a judge again I'll tell you how they found themselves in that situation again. Let's just start with the fact that, let's read the passage of scripture one more time just to lay the foundation. Thus the children of Israel 
dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. And the Lord allowed these nations... I want you to see this. The Lord allowed these nations, the Lord allowed these pockets of pagans, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to remain in Israel. Now, I want to just say something right now. That was not God's original plan. It was not God's original plan for pockets of the enemy to remain in the place of God's people, to remain in the place of promise. Well, how can I, how do I know that? Well, let me prove it to you. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, I'll just read it to you. It says, but of these cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God commandeth thee, that they teach you not to do after their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. It was God's original plan when the people of God entered into that place that had been promised to them, that they were supposed to drive out every one of those enemies. But the reality of it is, is that they did not do that. They did an, an incomplete work. What do I mean by that? That they lacked faith. They lacked faith and they left pockets. They left pockets of the enemy in the place of promise. The Lord said, I want you to annihilate them, but they did an incomplete work. He said, I want you to kill all of them. I want you to kill the children. I don't care if the child is pretty and has blonde hair and green eyes and a beautiful smile. I don't care if that horse you think would be a wonderful mode of transportation. I don't care if those oxen look really small, strong and you think that you would be able to have a wonderful crop. The Lord said, I want you to annihilate. I want you to remove all of them. And they lack faith and they lack follow through. I know some people may wonder, well, what does that have to do with me? Because the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of us are doing an incomplete work. I don't know, but I'm just going to go with God on this. A lot of us know that we need to complete what God has told us to complete. And I heard the Lord to tell me that when I came to Rivers of Life, he said, I want you to prophesy over the people that are under the sound of your voice. Prophesy the spirit of a finisher over them. And even as I'm speaking right now, the Lord is convicting you. Even as I'm speaking right now, the Lord is revealing to you the things that he told you to do. He told you to finish writing the book, woman of God. He told you to finish writing the book, woman of God. He told you to finish recording the CD. He told you to finish that degree. He told you to continue that weight loss program. He told you to clean out that attic. He told you to clean out that basement. And a lot of us have not finished what we started. But I hear the spirit of almighty God saying to decree over the people of almighty God, the spirit of a finisher. I just hear the Lord saying, you're going to finish what you start. And that list that many of us haven't looked at, you know, you got that to-do list of those things that we know that God is dealing with us and convicting us about. And when the midnight hour, we try to avoid it. And in the midnight hour, we hear the Holy Spirit saying, I told you to go back to school. I told you to go back to school. I told you to finish that assignment. I told you to start that thing already. And we keep putting it off. And I hear the Lord saying that if you open up and step out in faith and begin to walk in what it is that I've called you to do, if you begin to walk in what it is that I'm 
whispering in your ear in the midnight hour. You will no longer be intimidated. You will no longer feel regret. You will no longer feel bad. You will no longer suffer from low self-esteem about what you have not finished, but that instead by this time next year, by this time next year, by November 12, 2018, that very thing that you felt bad about, your to-do list is going to be like this. Check, 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 the spirit of a finisher. Why did he say to not allow them to remain in the territory? There's a reason why. You know why? He said, if you don't take them out, I'm going to leave them there. I'm going to leave those pockets of pagans. Well, what is the purpose that God had for leaving those people in the promised land? I'm going to use them to test you. And the second thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to use them to teach you. Teach you what? To teach you some important lessons that are important for us to learn. Well, what is the first lesson that we can learn from this? Number one, similar to the collapse, similar to a car. Let me give an example. Similar to a car, the collapse of a Christian life is rarely the result of a blowout, but always the result of a slow leak. I'm going to say that one more time. Similar to a car, the collapse of a Christian life is rarely the result of a blowout. You know a blowout. You hit something and you know automatically I got to go right to the mechanic. I got to get this checked out. I got to get this fixed. I can't keep driving like this. I can't go anywhere. So I got to address this right away. No, 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 no. It's not like that. The, the collapse of a Christian life is the result of a slow leak. That slow leak that you, can con you think you can continue to move forward and nobody notices. We think that we can continue to get where we need to go. It might be a little bit slower, but we can continue to get there. That is the reality of the collapse of the Christian life. Well, how can, I, how can, we, how can we see that in, in this passage of Scripture? Watch this. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to to their sons and they serve their God. So let's break down how this became a slow leak. Well, at first the Lord said, I want you to annihilate them. I want you to kill all of them, including the children. But they decided that they were not going to do that. The Bible says that they decided instead to dwell among them. Well, what does it mean to dwell? To dwell means to live in an enclosed area. So that's what they ended up doing. Instead of killing these people, they ended up dwelling among them. Well, what happens if you dwell among someone long enough? If we dwell, which means we live in the same neighborhood, then after a while we're going to go to the same supermarket, and then we're going to go to the same pharmacy. And if we keep dwelling around the same people, our children are going to play on the same playground. Oh, stay with me. I'm going someplace. And our children are going to go to the same school, and our children are going to join the same Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and play on the same basketball and softball and football teams. And being that our children have been going to the same school and our children have been playing on the same sports team and our children play on the same playground. After a while, I'm going to give my daughters to your sons. And after a while, I'm going to give my sons to your daughters. And now the very people that you were supposed to kill, now because you've dwelt with them long enough and now we're comfortable around them and now we feel like we can hang out and now we feel like we can have a cup of coffee and now we feel like we can be in same proximity. After a while, now you're going to marry them. And now that you've married them and you've given their daughters to your sons and you've given their sons 
sons to your daughters. Do you really think that after a period of time, your sons are going to start worshiping their, their wives' gods and their wives are going to start worshiping the gods of their husband? Oh, come on here. And don't act like it can't happen because Solomon was a wise man. Solomon was the wisest man that lived on the face of the earth. And Solomon, after he married a certain amount of women, after a while he started worshiping and serving their gods because the collapse of a Christian life is rarely the result of a It's a result of a slow leak. Now, I know some people may say, well, I still don't understand how this, how this applies to me. Understand that compromises in our life are made. Our devotional life is ignored. And over time, over time, over time, the spiritual strength that we used to have, the spiritual strength and the presence of God that we used to experience, after a while you don't feel it anymore. And people, they just know how to go through the motions. And they just know how to speak in fake tongues at the right time. Oh, come on here. And they know how to say blessed and highly favored. And they know how to lift their hands when they're thinking about what they're going to have for dinner tonight. Oh, y'all don't like me, but it's the truth. People know how to respond and dress and play the part because we're professionals at it. But I hear the Holy Ghost telling me to come and warn the people of God. This is a warning. You're leaking. You're leaking. And some people may wonder, well, how did the enemy get in? You hear that all the time, brother. How did the enemy get into our homes? And how did the enemy get into the churches of the living God? And how do we see things happening in the body of Christ that we never thought that we would see in our veritable lifetime? How did the enemy get in? I'll tell you how the enemy got in. The enemy got in because we opened the door for him wide. And some people may say, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Jasmine, because I don't open up the door wide to the enemy. Well, I'm going to tell you how we open up the door wide to the enemy. We open up the door wide to the enemy by leaving the door ajar. Ajar means just this much. But we leave it this much, this much, this much open over an extended period of time. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, which gives the enemy more access. And some people will say, I still don't understand. I'm not opening up the door to the enemy. I'll tell you how we open up the door to the enemy. We open up the door to the enemy by movie sale tickets. And we open up the door to the enemy by digital downloads. And we open up the door to the enemy by, by buying advanced tickets to the very things we would have protested 15, 20 years ago. See, people are looking at me like I have six heads, but I know what I'm talking about. I know we're in Pennsylvania right now, but I know in New York, for example, people were very surprised and very shocked when same-sex marriage law was passed in New York, and people were so grieved and just so outraged, Pastor. But some of the very people that are outraged by same-sex marriage in New York will watch Grey's Anatomy every week. Y'all don't like me, but it's true. So I don't understand how, why, why, why are you alarmed that same-sex marriage is, is legal in New York, but you can watch Grey's Anatomy, which had the first televised same-sex wedding time and time and time again. So what happened is, is what we were watching that was pretend on the television became reality in the natural, and we were desensitized, and the enemy was so subversive. That's why when you have people that are so bothered by Caitlyn Jenner, I don't understand why are you so bothered with Caitlyn Jenner, but you can watch, keep watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Y'all don't like me. Y'all don't like me, but it's true. We are desensitized as a body, and God is calling up some people in these last and evil days that will cry loud and spare not and say, prepare a way for the Lord. Prepare the way for revival. Prepare for the presence and power of Almighty God to return to the house of the Lord. 
And I know some people, I don't know, maybe, maybe my Holy Spirit is different, Pastor, but I don't know how some people can watch Basketball Wives and Love and Hip Hop and Empire and all of this demonic nonsense because I've tried to watch those programs. I've tried to watch them once in a while, Pastor, and you know what? The Holy Spirit said, I'm leaving. Keep watching that and I'm leaving. I don't know about anybody else's Holy Spirit when you're able to watch those television programs. I don't know how your Holy Spirit doesn't tell you anything because mine does. It's a slow leak. But God, let me just say something. Sin, watch this, is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad for your life. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. God forbids sin because it's bad for your life, bad for your destiny, bad for your purpose. But God, say with me, but God, but God in his mercy said, even though you've allowed the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Hivites to remain in that land, even though I told you to get rid of them, I'm still going to use that in your life. Oh, somebody better thank God that he will still use the mistakes and errors that we make in our life. Why? To do what? He said, I'm going to use those pockets of pagans to accomplish my intentions. And you may say, well, what were the intentions of God? Well, it says here what the intentions of God were. Watch this. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. At least those who had not formally known it. Now what does that have to do with us? And what did that have to do with them? That God said that you had a whole generation of young people that didn't know about the battles that they fought in Egypt. They didn't know about seas parting. They didn't see manna. They didn't see quail. They didn't know about miracles and signs and wonders. And they were sleeping. And they had no access to it. And God said, I'm going to allow them to be exposed to this type of level of worship. This type of level of warfare. So that they would know how to war. And you may wonder, well what does that have to do with us? We have a generation of young people that are coming up in these last and evil days and they don't know how to war. I'm worried about this generation of young people that when they hear tongues they're going to wonder what's that? I don't know what tongues are. I'm worried that we have a generation of young people that don't know how to travail, that don't know how to press into the very horns of the altar, that don't know about behelia, that don't know about fasting, that don't know about turning their plate over. I'm worried about this next generation. Everybody wants to stream the service. Everybody wants to watch the service online and I'm worried that this generation of young people are going to miss their Pentecost experience because sometimes you've got to be there Sometimes you've got to see it. I'm worried that we have a generation of young people that don't know five scriptures, that don't know the Ten Commandments. We've got to teach this next generation of young people how to war in the spirit. But the problem is, is that instead of us trying to teach this next generation of young people how to war, we're trying too hard to be like them. 55, with a raccoon face on Snapchat. 
You're 55 years old with a crown of roses around your head. Oh, come out here. We're adults trying to act like children. Just because you can fit into your daughter's clothing doesn't mean that you're supposed to be dressing like that. We have to teach this next generation of young people how to make it through a trial. But instead of teaching this next generation of young people how to make it through a trial, when we talk about social media and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of that, do you understand that that is utilized by the enemy to try to put pressure on us to create an image of perfection that isn't even real? We're wasting energy trying to prove that we're perfect instead of teaching young people how to make it through a trial. I remember when my mother had cancer. Speaking of how to teach the next generation of young people how to make it through a trial. I remember when my mother had cancer and my mother said she was going to start her chemo. And my mother said, I'm not going to let cancer take my hair. I'm going to shave my head off. And we went to the place where my mother was going to get her head shaved. They said, you can only take one person in with you. And out of every person that was sitting there, my mother picked me to come in with her. And when I went in with her, she said, pray. And I began to pray in the manner and fashion in which I had been trained to pray. Let me just deposit this in your spirit right now. Don't aspire to be the person that they invite to preach. Don't aspire to be the person that's invited to lead worship. Don't aspire to be the person that they invite to do liturgical dance. Be aspired to be the person that when somebody is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that when somebody's back is against the wall, when somebody doesn't know if they're going to make it out, that you're the person that they call to lay hands on them, that you're the person that they call to speak life over them, that you're the person that they call to intercede for them. You want to be, that's the type of person, because the gifts come without repentance. You want to be the person that they call when their back is against the wall. And I saw my mother getting her head shaved, beautiful, thick, reddish-brown locks, falling, Pastor, falling, falling, falling. And then my mother was bald as the day that she was born. And I saw my mother with tears in her eyes, bald. I'm talking about completely bald. And my mother looked in the mirror and said that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We want to be the type of women that will teach this next generation of young women how to make it through a trial. worried I'm talking about back when when you could be like when my my spiritual son said that I bless God for him I bless God for him because he doesn't get into all the detail but I would be very strong with him and tell him I'm, I meant you I don't know for those of you at the wedding and I didn't even tell the full story about his brought some girlfriend that I knew was not the will of God for his life and he said well what do you think of her I said that girl's not the will of God for your life he said well I'm 18 I said well you asked me right and I went deeper. I said, her lips are all blue, looking like she smokes weed every day. Stop acting like you were always sanctified and don't know what weed is. But you know what? I was able to speak into his life. And I was able to speak into his life for an extended period of time. And we, don't want, we want to remain teachable. Because now we're in a generation where now we can't even correct. We can't even admonish. You can't even speak into somebody's life anymore. Why? Because we're afraid that if we speak into their life that they're going to leave the church. But I'm here to let you know, Pastor, and I don't know why, but I just feel the Lord telling me to prompt this and to speak this over you and speak this over this house. Even though there are many people here today, I'm here to tell you that God is going to use this house because you haven't made it about numbers. Because you've continued to preach an uncompromising gospel. And I hear the Holy Ghost saying to exhort you and to encourage you that he said that he will save by many or he will save by few. Because just because there are a lot of people in a house does not mean that the presence of Almighty God is there. Just because there's a lot of people in a church does not mean that the power of Almighty God is there. 
because there's a lot of people at the mall right now. There's a lot of people at Madison Square Garden right now. There's a lot of people at Jet Stadium right now. There's a lot of people at Giant Stadium right now. That does not mean that the presence of Almighty God is there, but I'm telling you that the presence of God is in this place. You don't have worship like that. You don't have worship like that. You don't feel the palpable anointing of the presence of Almighty God. You don't have it. You don't have it like that. You don't have it like that. And as a matter of fact, you got a lot of churches. You got a lot of churches, and that was simple. You didn't have an orchestra. You didn't have lights and cameras and all of that nonsense. And the reason why a lot of churches need lights and smoke machines and a big inflatable blow-up Jesus, they need all of that. They need to make it look like a concert or a coffee house. Why? To mask the fact that the presence of God is not there. But truly, but truly, but truly, the presence of the Lord is in this house. And you know why? You know why, man of God? Because the Lord told me to exhort you. Yes, Lord, I hear you, Holy Spirit, that you don't count people. And don't ever count people because people are going to come, but you never count people. Because if you ever succumb to what other people and other pastors and other ministries succumb to, and they start counting people, that's when they lose the battle. Hallelujah. I know there's some people that are under the sound of my voice and they're saying, I understand that, Pastor. I understand that these are last and evil days. I understand that it's such a challenge to raise my child in the admonition of the Lord, to raise my child in this season, to raise my child where things that were considered sin are now considered legal. How am I going to raise my child in these last and evil days? But I want to come and speak something over you. First of all, you have to know that you're not raising children. You're raising Levites. You've got to know that you're not raising just regular children. You're raising the future evangelists and you're raising the future prophets and you're raising the future pastors and you're raising the future missionaries. You're not raising regular children, you're raising Levites. And understand that when God calls you to raise children that are Levites, if you look in the word of God, the children of the Levites, they would wear many Levitical priesthood outfits. And the reason why they would wear many Levitical priesthood outfits would be to denote to everybody that would look at them, these are not like everybody else. These are not like Mary and Johnny, they're not like everybody else. Don't try to sell them pornography. Don't try to give them drugs. Don't try to teach them inappropriate language. They're not regular children, they're Levites. I don't know, but I just hear the Holy Ghost saying to remind some people that you are not raising regular children. You're raising Levites. And as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You're not raising regular children. You're raising Levites. That's Lord. I hear you, Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit just brought this to my mind. I remember now Halloween had just passed. And I'm not going to get into a whole theological debate. I wouldn't break fellowship with someone who celebrates Halloween, but I was raised to not celebrate it. Say with me, I'm going someplace within the context of Levites. And I remember that we just knew that we were not allowed to celebrate Halloween. And on one Halloween, my mother was going to take us to the library, which was my favorite place to return some books. And my mother said, are you ready to go to the library? I said, I don't want to go to the library. She says, why do you not want to go to the library? It's your favorite place. I said, well, today's Halloween. And my mother, see, we from Brooklyn. I'm sorry, I know I'm in PA, but we're from Brooklyn. And my mother said, and what that got to do with you? Okay. 
I said, but it's Halloween, and my mother said, and what that got to do with you? Now, we're laughing right now, but some of you have to apply that to how you raise your children. Some of you got to apply that, and what that got to do with you, and what does that have to do with you to the rearing of your children? What do I mean? When your child comes and tells you, but all my friends that are 13 have tattoos on their neck, and what does that have to do with you? But everybody in my house has a cell phone at eight years old, and what that got to do with you? But all the other kids can decide when they're going to go to church, and when they're going to stay home, and what does that have to do with you and I know of my other friends they can wear belly shorts and booty shorts and they can show their stomach and what does that have to do with you you're a Levite you're not like everybody else you're a Levite but they but, but but their boyfriend can go into the room with the door closed what does that have to do with you you're a Levite I'll be your friend when you're 35 right now I'm your mama right now I'm your daddy right now I'm rearing you in the admonition of the Lord and I don't know why God won't let me let go of this pastor but I hear the Holy Ghost telling me to let some people know that you have got to go back into the enemy's camp and take back the authority that was stolen from you it is your name on the lease it is your name on the mortgage. You're the one that puts the food on the table. And when you go home today, some of you are going to say, we don't listen to that type of music in this house. We don't watch that type of television program in this house because we're Levites. And I remember that mom said, well, what does that have to do with you? So we start walking to the library. And just like I told my mother, I said, people are going to ask me why I'm not wearing a costume. And why I'm not trick-or-treating. Oh, mind you, I was eight years old. People are going to ask me, why aren't you wearing a costume? That's back when neighbors used to speak to each other. We don't speak to each other in Brooklyn. But back in the day, you would speak to each other. And my mother said, you'll tell them why. I'm eight years old. You'll tell them why. And we walked down the street. And just like we talked about it, it happened. See, that's the problem. So many times we're having the conversation when the child comes home after. We have to have the conversation about how we're going to handle and how we're going to address these situations before. So we're walking down the street, and the people approached me, and they said, what happened, Jasmine? Why aren't you wearing a costume? And my mother goes, tell them. My head down. I'm mumbling. We believe in Jesus. We don't celebrate Halloween. We believe in life. We don't celebrate death. Uh, my mother said, louder so they can hear you and look at them in the eye when you say it. And I picked up my head and I looked them in the eye at eight years old. I said, we don't celebrate Halloween. We don't celebrate death. We celebrate life. We celebrate Jesus. And I proceeded to say that at eight years old. Now somebody might sit up here and say, well, that's too much or that's too extra or no pa tanto or whatever. But my mother, when I talked to her about that, I said, I can't believe that you did that to me when I was eight years old. But my mother said, even when you were in my womb, I knew that I was not raising a regular child. I knew that I was raising a prophet who was going to have to say a lot of crazy things and look people in the eye when she would say it that could be bought by candy and couldn't be bought by an honorarium my mother understood that she was not raising a regular child she was raising a prophet now what does this have to do with you too many times we're waiting for somebody to lay hands on our children and prophesy over our children and tell our children what their destiny is I didn't give Bishop Jakes that child to raise I gave that child to you I didn't give that child to Shambach to raise I gave that child to you you have more authority than Juanita Bynum Paula White whoever your 
favorite is Gigi Avila. You have more authority over you to prophesy over the destiny of your son and your daughter than all those people wrapped up together. You're raising a Levite. You've got to seek the face of Almighty God. What is it that you have for my child? How am I to raise my child in accordance with the destiny and purpose that is on their life? So the Lord allows these people, allows those pockets to do two things. Number one, to teach, to show them like he's showing us that the collapse of the Christian life is rarely the result of a blowout. It's always the result of a slow leak. The second thing, to teach the next generation of children how to war. Because they had never seen the wars that were fought in Canaan. So that they would know not to remove the ancient landmarks that their forefathers had set before them. The third thing that the Lord was doing was to test them. To test them. Well, how did he test them? It says, and the children did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. So Ehud has to go against this king by the name of Eglon. And he was in authority and he had power over Israel for 18 years. Now I want to break something down. Eglon means fat, slothful calf. That's what the name Eglon means. It also means entrenched. Eglon is the only person in the entire word of God that is ever described as fat. Weight is never mentioned in any other biblical character, period. Biblical historians, stay with me, I'm going someplace, say that Eglon's waist, which I don't even know how this is humanly possible, that it measured approximately 300 inches. And that would be almost like if anybody here watches Star Wars, Eglon was the equivalent of like Jabba the Hutt. He had a 300-inch waist. And the Lord allowed him to rise to power. Not only does he take over Israel, he rallies Amnon, he rallies Amalek to come and take possession of Israel. He's there for 18 years, and he's literally weighing on the people of God physically. He's weighing on them. He's entrenched in their life. And of all the cities that Eglon, the big fat calf, his name means slothful and entrenched, of all the cities that he could have made his headquarter, the Bible says that he chose to make the city of Jericho his headquarter. That's where his chain of command was. That where the, that's where the epicenter was. Now, the interesting thing about Jericho is that Jericho was the financial uh, 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 mainstay. It was the financial capital of Israel at that time. It's where all the vegetation was grown. It was where all the food was sold. It was where all the money was exchanging hands. So understand that he took control of that city. And when he took control of Jericho, he took control of their financial lifeline. Now, if we think about that, you're entrenched, you're affecting my money, you're affecting the way that I can feed myself, the way that I can pay my bills, the way that I can take care of myself. Now, the city of Jericho is also the city of Palms. It's also known as the city of worship. Well, how does this relate to us? It's interesting that when the enemy wanted to take over and control the people of God and stop their financial prosperity and stop their financial lifeline, he makes the place, the city of worship, his headquarters. 
Because if I make the city of worship my headquarters, then I can impede everything that comes in and comes out. Now, as it is in the natural, so shall it be in the spirit. I was very blessed when I came today and I just saw people worshiping God and coming to the altar. I was very blessed, Pastor, that as soon as worship started, we were going to come out here. Because I know that you've spoken in other churches. I know you know some churches are not like that. Some churches, the pastor, they'll come out the last half of a song. I don't know about anybody else. I need my worship. I need my time to go before the very throne of grace. I need to begin to worship. I don't understand people that think that it's about the preaching. Nobody's going to be preaching in heaven. Nobody's going to be preaching in heaven. Nobody's going to be teaching in heaven. All we're going to be doing is worshiping, so we might as well get used to it right now. Now, this is what I find interesting, that the fat calf, whose name means slothful, that he was entrenched in the city of worship. Don't you ever notice that people get tired during worship, that people want to go to the bathroom during worship, that people want to take a break during worship, that people want to check their phones during worship? Don't you understand that that is strategic attack of the enemy? Because when we worship God, when the praises go up, it is the blessing that comes down. When we look at the walls of Jericho, the Bible says that the Israelites had to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times. And when they shouted and when they praised the walls that were in the way of them in promise, the walls that were in the way of them in prosperity, the walls that were in the way of them in destiny, it was only after they worshiped that the walls that were getting in the way came down. He does not deliver with a whisper. He delivers with a shout. Shout to God for your miracle. Shout to God for your blessing. Shout to God for your deliverance. Shout to God for your restoration. He doesn't deliver with a whisper. He delivers with a shout. That's why there's some people that, I don't know, they say, well, I don't know how I'm going to get out of my situation. You're going to praise your way out because he said in his word that I am the way. I remember when I got my, 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 my son, he got a very negative diagnosis about his health. And I didn't even know what we were going to do and how we were going to handle it. And I heard the Lord say that I am the way. I am literally the way. So when you worship the way, he is Rapha. So when I worship Jehovah Rapha, I am literally praising my way out of my situation. When I am going through mental oppression, if you're going through depression or sadness or anxiety, and you begin to worship Jehovah Shalom, you are literally praising your way out of your situation because he is the way. That's why the enemy's trying always to break down and be a distraction during worship because there is a special anointing that comes under corporate worship. There is a special anointing that comes out of collective worship. That's why the Bible says that one can chase a thousand and two can put 10,000 to flight. Don't miss worship. Verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for them. They were tired of being oppressed. They were tired of this Eglon getting in the way of their money, getting in the way of their financial prosperity, getting in the way of their business, just entrenched, almost like we say in Spanish, entrometia, just all up in it. In every aspect and facet. And the Bible says that when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord gave them a deliverer. Now, I want, you to, I want you to really think about that. And I want you to think about whatever it is that you're facing in your life. I know that you've complained about it. I know that we've criticized about it. I know that we've moaned and groaned about it. But have we really cried out to the Lord? Have we cried out with passion? Have we cried out with intensity? Have we cried out with fervency? What do I mean by this? I'm sure that the Israelites over those 18 years, 
years. I'm sure they prayed many times. But the truth of the matter is the Bible says that when they cried out to the Lord, the Bible says that within 24 hours, my God, there's got to be somebody here that needs a 24-hour miracle, that needs a 24-hour breakthrough, that needs a 24-hour open door, that when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. And when James talks about that, he's referencing Elijah. And the Bible says that Elijah literally spread his legs when he prayed and put his head between his knees. And you know that symbolizes the birthing position. And, and the birthing position symbolizes what? That a lot of times we want to birth something out in the natural that we have not birthed out in the spirit in prayer. And when we birth out something in the spirit in prayer, God will move quickly. And in this instance, when they cried out to the Lord with fervency, when they cried out to the Lord with passion, he raised up a deliverer for them. An 18-year situation that plagued them. An 18-year situation that weighed them down. An 18-year situation that made life difficult. In 24 hours, the Lord gave an answer. Is there anybody that needs an answer in the next 24 hours? Is there anybody that needs a breakthrough in the next 24 hours this word is for you cry out to God and watch him raise up a deliverer and who does he raise up the one-handed shriveled up man and that's the problem sometimes we cry out to God for the deliverer and we don't like what he sends we don't like the answer it didn't come in the packaging that we liked. It didn't come with the nice bow that we wanted. It didn't come with glitter on it. We complain about the packaging. But this is the deliverer that the Lord raised up. And in this instance, the deliverer that the Lord raised up to lead them into battle was a one-handed man by the name of Ehud. Left-handed. What do you do when, you're, when you have less than what's expected, when you don't have what it takes, when on paper you don't fit the bill? You learn to work with what the Lord has given you. And not only do you learn to work with what the Lord has given you, you fight with what it is that you have. Because if you don't have it, then that means that you don't need it. I want to tell somebody that this morning. If you don't have, if Ehud needed a right hand, the Lord would have made sure that he had a right hand. But the Lord didn't give him a right hand because he didn't need a right hand. If the Lord needed you to have the money, you would have the money. If the Lord needed those people to like you, they would like you. If the Lord needed you to have that title, you would have the title. If you don't have it, that means that you don't need it. And God is going to do it in such a way in your life so as to glorify himself. You fight anyway. Why? Because he takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Look at me at verse 18. This is 16. This is my last point. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged sword and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So I only have one hand. I need to fight on behalf of God's people. I know I don't fit the bill. The only knives and swords that they had available at that time that were for right were, pre, were for predominantly right-handed people and they were known as sickle swords anybody ever heard of the mask of Zorro? the sickle sword would do all this 
But that didn't work for him because he was left-handed. And the Bible said that what he did was he made himself his own sword. He made himself, now it could be any type of sword, but he made himself a double-edged sword. I wish that God, somebody would grab a hold of what God is saying. You don't need the fancy stuff. You don't need the material things. You don't need the people. You don't need the crowd. You need the double-edged sword, which is the word of God. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two double-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I don't need a right hand when I have my double-edged sword. I don't need a right hand when I have what this word says that I can do. When I can do everything that God has entrusted me and empowered me to do. When he made himself a double-edged sword, he was saying, I don't need to to lean on my flesh. I don't have to rely on my flesh. I rely on the promises of the word of God. I don't need that. I have a double-edged sword. And the fact that he had a double-edged sword brings glory to God. And you may say, well, why does that bring glory to God? When you look at the Zorro sword, the common sword, is flashy. It draws a lot of attention. God is looking for people that will not share his glory with anyone. God is looking for people who will not touch the glory of God. And he was saying, I'm not going to rely on my flesh. I'm going to rely on the word of God. So the Bible says that he goes in. It says, now when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the, ra the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged sword. He fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. He brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So he goes with the people of God that were part of the team, the leadership team, you would say, even though he was the head. He decides that he's going to bring his double-edged sword. It says that the other people brought tribute. You may say, well, what is that? Tribute is they would bring material things to try to make good and try to get along with the person that was making their life so difficult. Tribute, it says here, they sent gold, they sent silver, they sent raiment, they sent olives, raisins, figs. He brings a sword. Everybody else brings food and material items. Now, the Bible already says that he was a fat man who was oppressing the people of God. So you're oppressing the people of God, and they're sending tribute. Now, the word tribute means compromise. So basically what they were doing, they were bringing, he's bringing the word of God. They're bringing compromise. And when they brought compromise, part of the compromise, which was the tribute, they bought food. Now, if somebody's weighing heavily on you, if somebody's oppressing you, and they're just weighing and weighing and weighing on you, why would you feed them? Because if you continue to feed them and compromise with them, they're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And some people say, well, what does that have to do with me? That means stop looking at pornography. That means stop smoking that. Stop drinking that. Stop fornicating. Stop putting yourselves in those situations. Stop saying, I'll go to the club one more time. Stop saying, I'll get on that bad website one more time because what you're doing is you're feeding the very thing that is oppressing you and you're allowing the thing that is weighing on you to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and Ehud said I'm not going to go I don't know about them they might be going in with tribute but I'm going in with the word of God I'm not going to compromise 
And the Bible says that after they went in and the other people, it says, and when they finished presenting the tribute, Ehud sent away the people who carried the tribute. What does that mean? They all had the assignment, but the person that was going to go in with compromise got sent away. God is looking for people that will preach an uncompromising gospel. God is looking for people that are not going to compromise with the enemy and are going to stand in accordance with what the word of God says. You have destiny and you have promise and you have purpose. And some of us are going to miss it because we're willing to compromise. So they got sent away. So Ehud, the Bible says, he goes in. He goes in, and he goes in alone. Not only do you have one hand, the wrong hand, you're by yourself. And what that shows is that when you have God, you don't need anybody because goodness and mercy follow you. So he goes in, and look at what happens. He sends away the people who had carried the tribute and turned back from himself the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence, all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud went to them. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached in with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the entrails came out. Then Ehud went through the porch and shut the doors through the upper room behind him and locked him. Now you may say, well, what does this have to do with anything? I want you to see right here in this passage of scripture, which is my last point, that the fact that he thought that he would be disqualified, the fact that he thought that he was not qualified and people would have disqualified him from being used by God to kill the enemy was the very thing that caused him to be qualified. Well, what do I mean by this? When you would go in to see the king, just like today, they would have the equivalent of secret service and they would frisk you. And they would always frisk, watch this, the opposite side. If you were right-handed, you would put your knife on the left-hand side of your body. They would frisk you. They would see they would be the knife, and they would take it from you. Now, most people are, left, are right-handed. This man was left-handed. So he put his knife on the opposite side of his body. And because the knife was on the opposite side of his body, he was able to access the enemy in a way that nobody else could. And in that moment, what does that reveal? That the very thing that he thought disqualified him from being used, the very thing that he thought disqualified him from being, being used by God, in reality was the very thing that qualified him for the breakthrough. The very thing that he thought would disqualify him from being used by God caused him to get a level of access that he never would have gotten before. And I can assure you in that moment, everything probably became clear to him. This is why you made me the way you made me. This is why you created me the way that you created me. This is why I'm not like everybody else. So that I can have access to do what has never been done before. There would be no expectation for me to do it. There would be no expectation for me to cause it to be but because of God and my weakness his strength is made perfect in my weakness and it's because of that that the enemy was killed oh you better bless God for that that's why some of you are going to realize, this is why you made me the way you made me. This is why I'm, I speak the way I speak. This is why I went through what I went through when I was a child. You did it for a purpose. You did it because you had a plan that's bigger than me and bigger than you. 
The Bible said that he took that sword, and it said that when the sword went in, the dirt came out. That's what the word of God does. That when the sword goes in, the dirt comes out. Oh, I just got to say that one more time. That when the how shall a young man cleanse his way by the word, the sword went in of the spirit. The sword, which is the word of God, and the dirt came out. Stand to your feet. Understand, it's not just about going through the Bible. It's about letting the Bible go through you. He goes in. Because he's a way maker. And it says that he goes right out the front door. And not only does he go out the front door. See, that's powerful right there. When God is with you, you go right out the front door. He went right out the front door. He went to the people of God. He said, come with me. And you know what? They followed him. Some of you are wondering how you're going to get people to, to, to follow you, people to believe in you, people to see the vision that is upon your life, the anointing, the call of God. You're not going to have to tell anybody anything. You're going to show them. You can show them better than you'll ever be able to tell them. Because when he came out with his one hand, people followed him. I want you to see the blessing because I want to speak it over you. Then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And the people followed. And it said, and at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab. All stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. Now that's interesting. You have the wrong hand. You're left-handed. And the Bible says that not only does he kill Eglon, but he comes out and he leads the people of God to kill 10,000 people. And that just shows me something interesting because the Bible says that a thousand would fall at your left hand and 10,000 would fall at your right hand. So if I'm left handed and I killed 10,000 people, I'm doing what they said I'm not supposed to be able to do. Okay, okay. And then the Bible said that not only did he kill 10,000 people, the Bible said that then they had peace for 80 years. Now, when we look at the judge before Ehud, he had peace for 40 years. And when we look at the judge after Ehud, he had peace for 40 years. But the Bible says that Ehud had peace for 80 years. So what that shows me is that you're going to get double for your trouble. That you're going to get double for your suffering. That shows me that you're going, that God is about to reverse the curse that has been spoken. Because I'm only supposed to be able to kill a thousand people. I'm only supposed to have peace for 40 years. But God is going to reverse the curse and cause me to do with my weaknesses what has never been done before. I'm going to kill 10,000 people. And I'm going to have double the amount of peace because of who I am. No, because of who God is. There's a double portion miracle. 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 I don't know, I just can't let that go. There's a double portion miracle. There's an anointing for people to do things that they have not done before. 
I don't know, but I'm just going to go with God. I hear the Holy Ghost even saying even now that the high things are going to be brought down low and that the low things are going to be brought up high. That people that are in the back, I hear the Lord saying they're going to come to the front and people that are in the front are going to go to the back because God is about to reverse things. God is about to reverse things. I hear the Lord saying, I'm about to open up doors that no man can shut. I'm about to do things in your life that you should have never been able to do. I'm going to defy expectations with you. I'm going to move in an unprecedented manner. I'm going to move in an unprecedented fashion because I really in these last and evil days, I'm going to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. For people that are willing to say, here I am, Lord, send me. All I have are a few loaves and fishes, use me. All I have is a little oil and a little flour. You can use anything, you can use me. It takes a level of vulnerability to say, I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. It takes a level of vulnerability after you've tried everything else to cry out to the Lord in such a way that in 24 hours, like he did with the Israelites, that he would answer. And some of us have gone through long, lean periods in our lives, desperate, desperate. And we wonder why it's taken so long for God to answer that petition, to answer that prayer request. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And God has allowed that. And the reason why he's allowed that so that when your Ehud comes, when your answer comes, you'll be so happy with what God has brought to you. That you'll be willing to utilize it for his glory. That you'll embrace it with both hands, the answer. You won't glorify the answer, you'll glorify the God of the answer. You see, if you glorify the answer, then we get upset if the answer doesn't show up in the matter and fashion in which we expect it. But when we glorify the God of the answer, we glorify that he has heard the cry of the righteous. Now I'm just going to go with God, I'm going to hand it over to your pastor. But if there's any of you that feel like Ehud and you're like, this is all I have God, but I know there's a call of God upon my life. This is all I have, God, but I'm willing to go where you tell me to go and do what you tell me to do and say what you tell me to say. Come. If you're in a place in your life and you're like, these are the loaves and these are the fishes, bless them, Lord. Come. If you're somebody that's in need of that 24-hour miracle, come. If you're somebody that's in need of that breakthrough, come. If you're somebody that's saying, Father, I'm in need, teach me how to cry. Teach me how to cry loud and teach me how to cry continuously. Come. If you're believing God for your children, come. If you're believing God for your children, come. If you're believing God for a breakthrough in your family, come. If you're believing God for a breakthrough in your family, come. If you're saying, I want the presence of the Lord to rest in my household like it used to, come. If you're waiting and you're waiting and you're saying, Father, I know that I'm separated and set apart. But Father, I need you to manifest yourself as the way maker, come. If you need a 10,000 enemies to be struck down on your behalf, come. If you need a thousand to be struck down, come. If you need peace in your home, come. If you need peace in your home, come. If you need peace in your family, come. Come, says the Lord, come. Shataraba, Shataraba, Saya. Eman, Darababa, Shaya.